This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. From Canoe Studios in New York City, with special guest Marianne Turk, the Chief Operating Officer of the NFL. We're in a position right now where we could be standing atop the mountain saying, yeah, TV ratings do matter because we're up and a lot of other people are down. But the truth is, when we think about that every week, when we review our consumption, we don't think it's only about TV ratings. And I really think that to position any organization for the future, it's about the battleground for you guys, for that next generation of fans, right? For that 18 to 34-year-olds. And how do you engage and how do they consume your content? Now, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. Good morning. I'm Tim Alexander, and I'm with Boingo Wireless. It's it's our pleasure to be here with Brian Berger and Sports Business Radio today as a sponsor. Um, a little bit about Boingo Wireless. We are a company that designs, constructs, and manages wireless networks in large commercial venues throughout the United States and around the world. Uh, in sports specifically, we work with the NFL, the NBA, other major and minor leagues, uh, the NCAA. And our role really is to ensure wireless connectivity to enhance the game day experience or event. And so if you think about what that means as a, as a fan, you have the opportunity with your cell phone, your smartphone, your tablet, to communicate with those inside and outside the venue, and for that matter, to interact more with the game itself. And so from a fan perspective, it's very important technology in being able to communicate. From a venue perspective and for the team, it's also a great opportunity for them to enhance interactiveness and uh, communication uh, with with the fans. And so as uh, as an amenity, it's a very important piece of technology. So that's my little uh, plug for Boingo. Um, I just, I'd also like to say that Boingo continues to work with the NFL and others to enhance that uh, in staying in touch and staying current with technology um, and upgrading and, and making sure that those uh, capabilities are there. So with that, um, I would like to introduce Brian Berger. And uh, again, thanks very much on behalf of Boingo. How's everyone doing today? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Boingo for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. We have our tag board display. Thank you to them. So we have social media visualizations filtering through today. If you want to post on social, use the hashtag SBRNFL, and you'll see it pop up there. And it'll also be on our Twitter and Instagram feeds. Thank you so much to Canoe Studios for hosting us. This is a world-class venue, really a special venue, and uh, we're happy to be in this great venue. And then thank you to uh, Montclair State University, the School of Media and Communications, also Columbia University. We have a few students in the audience here today. We will do a brief Q&A at the end of our interview, so think of your best questions and uh, we can save some questions for the end for Marianne. So Marianne Turk oversees business operations for the NFL. She was named by Adweek as one of the most powerful women in sports. Please welcome Marianne Turk to the stage. So thanks again for, for being here. We always start our road shows by asking our guests, since we have students in the audience, about their career in college. And you have such an interesting background because you come from civil engineering. You have two master's degrees, one in engineering, one in business. But maybe you can talk to our students a little bit about the path that you took and how it's led you to sports because it, it wasn't – you wouldn't think someone from a civil engineering background would wind up being the COO of the NFL. Right. I get that. I'm really sick, guys, so I'm, I might have a coughing fit here, and uh, just bear with me. My voice is troubled. Um, yeah, you know, I get asked that question a lot, and one of the reasons why I went into engineering to begin with is I was really good at math and physics, and so it was an undergraduate degree that I could get a job, a really good job in right off, right out the, uh, right out of the gate. 
And I, I did it for about five years, and then I realized that I would really like business more. So um, I, I did do a master's degree in engineering because, uh, you know, I got paid to do it. They, I, I got a scholarship, and I got paid to do it. So it was a nice thing to do to, while I thought about what was next. And then when after I did my MBA, it really became clear to me that business was my uh, preferred sort of venue, and I did a right-angle turn right out of engineering. But throughout my career, always analytics operations was always sort of a fundamental part of what made me good at every job that I had. So the most substantial um, sort of turning point in my career was when I became head of operations at Bell Canada Enterprises, which is the equivalent of the AT&T up in Canada. Like, it's a huge incumbent telco. It's got a media arm and everything like that. And um, it was very engineering. I mean, we did all the circuit design. I built all the fiber to the home networks. I did all of that. And as it happens in your career, and we can talk about this, you know, you start the board and the executive want for you to diversify. So they wanted me to go into media. Well, as it turns out, the media division hadn't really been operationalized and we needed some delayering and some efficiencies done. So I went there and I did that. And while I was there, I negotiated uh, you know, we became the home of HBO, we became the home of, home of the NFL, and that's where I met the NFL guys. And then um, Todd Lewicki actually was really interested in having me come and join the NFL to run the NFL network. Um, because, you know, the NFL and many of these leagues, it's, it's, a, it's a licensing shop, right? It's a deal shop. And the NFL network is a big, big operation in L.A., and they wanted an operator to lead it. And who knew that at the time that I was kind of entering media, it was at the time, like, media is kind of distressed right now, right, with cord shaving, cord cutting, the legacy media environment under pressure. So you really need operators, and you need people who will figure out how to, um, you know, cross over this disintermediation that's happening with streaming partners and everything like that and figure out how best to position your content and your value across all these choices that media has right now. So that's how I ended up here. Let's follow up on that media question because it's such an interesting point you make. And I had Rick Welts from the Warriors on recently. It seems like the multi-billion dollar question in sports right now is streaming and broadcasting and just content in general. We've seen Disney Plus and Apple Plus and all these streaming services launch recently. Where do you see this all shaking out? Are are we going to find a day in the next five years where streaming rights will surpass broadcast rights? Or will they both continue down the same path? Because everyone thinks that at some point the broadcast rights bubble may burst or at least decrease a little bit because of streaming. So how many years have people been saying the broadcast bubble is going to burst? A long time. A long time. Um, I think the North Star for the NFL has always been reach. And we're going to let our consumers tell us where to put our content. So, I mean, the commitment and the belief that broadcast television would be good for the NFL started years and years ago, and it has proven to be so. And access and reach are the most important thing. And I would say how we think about um, the next phase of our media renewals, it's very much about where do consumers want to consume our content, right? Where do, where do, we have to follow them. We can't say, we're going to put it here, therefore you must come here. No, we have to put it where they want to consume it. And you can, we've done a little bit of experiment with that with Thursday night football, right? With the TriCast. So with Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. Now Amazon Prime is still behind a firewall to be sure. But, you know, that kind of exercise is really important in, um, understanding where people are consuming. I mean, it's still only 3% or so of our consumption is on digital platforms. Mm. Um, and don't forget, you know, being a telco person, um, streaming is fundamentally, you know, based on the quality of internet service in any given community. And, you know, with 
4K, 8K coming down the pipe, the broadband requirements for an over-the-top streaming of live sports is unbelievable. It's one thing to be watching Game of Thrones or whatever and have it pixelate on you for a little bit. It's kind of annoying. You go, you refill your glass, and you come back, and maybe you're ready to go again, right? But when it's live sports, that's super annoying. Right. So I think that there's a there's an ecosystem there that um, is to be managed, right, that is really important. And the quality of Internet, like I would say, you know, it's almost, it's almost a requirement uh, that fiber be in the home before you can have multiple feeds of, like, if you want to be watching, if you want to be streaming an, an NFL game and your son or daughter is upstairs wanting to be streaming whatever, hockey or a different game or, you know, whatever they want to watch, it's a lot of broadband, and it's important that, that um, the quality of that access be there before it's a consumer experience that I think will be satisfactory across the board. Another question I really look forward to asking you, there have been a lot of stories lately about, you know, TV ratings are down, not for the NFL, but for the NBA. And one of the arguments I've made on Sports Business Radio is, TV ratings by themselves do not tell the full story of audience because you have to factor in digital and streaming and how many people are engaging on social media. Some people are just watching highlights and clips on social media. They're still engaging with your product. They don't show up in the TV ratings. So I personally don't think that TV ratings tell the comprehensive story of audience from your seat, you guys have to, you know, worry about all of this or, or factor all the numbers together. How do you measure audience? Right. I mean, we're in a we're in a position right now where we could be standing atop the mountain saying, "Yeah, TV ratings do matter because we're up and a lot of other people are down." But the truth is, when we think about that every week, when we review our consumption, we don't think it's only about TV ratings. And basically, you know, I really think that to position any organization for the future. It's about the battleground for you guys, for that next generation of fans, right? For that 18 to 34-year-olds. And and where do you, how do you engage and how do they consume your content? So when I joined the league, you know, our social media strategy wasn't particularly strong. We've revamped the marketing area and a whole new social uh, team that, you know, comes out of places like Activision Blizzard and Red Bull and places like that. And, you know, we are now, it's not just about being on these platforms, it's about creating content that's entirely different from what you would normally consider to drive engagement. It's about, you know, user-generated content. It's all those things. And we've seen an uptick in um, in youth fandom. Like, when we go out there, it's up quite a bit. Like, it was down, and it's hockey sticking back up right now. And what we don't see is an uptick in youth viewership, though, on broadcast television. Mm. And that's okay for now, right? I mean, maybe they'll never watch a full game on broadcast television. I don't know. Maybe when they're 38 years old and at home with kids, maybe then they will. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's um, we know that if we don't get someone before the age of 17 in our ecosystem, it's very hard to get them after. And... The most valuable fans for us are avid fans. So it's about getting fans in early to become part of our ecosystem. And then it's about migrating them up the chain of avidity so that the the lifetime value of those fans is more. So what would you say your overall social strategy is? You mentioned you just hired some new people. You've revamped that area. When you look broadly at the social media strategy of the NFL, what does that look like? So for us, it's a really great opportunity to take the helmets off our players and to get close to the players and to have a place where people get to know who these guys are off the field and also integrate those players with other influencers in society, right? So lots of, um, lots of our players and lots of young people and old people, I would say, um, you know, fashion, music, health, all those kinds of things are interesting areas of conversation and they're interested in what our players have to say about that. And, you know, when we did the Super Bowl ad last year, um, we said to the players who came on the set, just wear, it's, it's a black tie event, wear whatever you want. And we did a full sort of 
lead up to that ad with what these guys were wearing. And Marchand showed up in black leggings and a black hoodie, and other guys showed up in other things. And it was just a, it was a point of differentiation for each of these guys and something that we could talk about. And it was fun and exciting, you know? Yeah, I want to talk more about that commercial in a minute. That's on my list. But some of the things I love that you guys have done is, you know, I, I like the celebrations being yeah. allowed back on the field because if you're trying to bring out the personality and the players, that's one of the great ways to do it. Um, the cleats. Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, J.J. Watt and Odell Beckham Jr. can tell me why they're wearing these cleats, who they were designed by. There, there's a whole story behind that, and I think that brings out the right. personality. But that wasn't that way a few years ago. Were you part of, hey, if we're trying to bring out the personality of the players, we need to let them show their individuality a little bit by doing things like this. So my cause, my cleats, was a little bit before my time, and it was a hard-fought battle right? because it's very, you know, oh, what if it's offensive or whatever, but it has proven to be, you know, a real, like you said, just a, a real meaningful um, project, really, mm-hmm. to have these guys express you know, what it means to them. And you'll, you've probably have seen some of the spots that we've been running on the games around some of the players and why they chose what they chose. And it's a, it's a thoughtful time, you know, for these guys to, um, personalize something. And too often, you know, they're not personalized enough. And we have to remember that these guys are human and they make mistakes and they have weaknesses and they're real, just like you and I, they aren't, always sort of the superhero they appear to be on the field. And I think bringing that down to reality is an important part for young people and any people to understand. Everybody's got their stuff, you know? How much do you work from the league level with the players on their social media? So I'm Pacific Northwest. I see Russell Wilson is is brilliant on social media. He goes and visits the children's hospital every week. So many stories come out of just his feed alone. Right. How often do you get together with the players and say, hey, how can we help you or how can we be collaborative with your social media efforts and ours? Well, so the answer to the question is more and more we're getting involved. Now, some guys are just naturally great at it. Russell would be one. Tom Brady would be the other. Mm-hmm. And, look, their wives are also really good at it, right? <laughs> like it's Helps it's, having Giselle as your yeah, wife who has exactly. millions of followers. <laughs> right. Um, but the truth is that we had a social media summit in L.A. last year where we invited just 50 to 60 players. Hmm. It was the first time we did it. And we brought them in, and it was, um, you know, players that you would expect to – up-and-coming players as well, and talking about what kind of content and how can we help you build content. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we forbid players for posting highlights and that kind of thing. So we now make content for them to post after their games. And, like, who best to post a highlight reel of, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. than himself with his commentary and his tag? You know, it's, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's pretty fun, and we're, we're getting at it. We did it with a small group of players this year, um, and we'll be expanding that over time. And now they're coming to us, and we're helping uh, with create that interesting, creating that interesting content. And we've leaned in hard to the check down. I don't know if you guys follow that, but that's fun and mm-hmm. sort of just, you know, lighthearted content that's sort of exciting. And, you know, it means a lot to us when we see that show up on other social media platforms, you know, uh, because it... It validates that, okay, we're doing something right here. Well, even yesterday, so I'm flying in yesterday and I land and I turn on my phone and checking Twitter. And all over Twitter is the defensive player for the Buffalo Bills. The Baltimore Ravens play sheet had gone onto the field. So he runs over and he picks it up. And I thought, how funny is this? Like, you know, if you're in high school or in Pop Warner, you're probably doing the same thing. But this isn't an NFL game. And I had never heard of that player before, but I remember him now because I thought that was a really funny moment and it was very organic and, and it went viral. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was hysterical. And <laughs> another one of our strategies is not at the expense of the popularity of the team, 
But we know that these players are pretty mobile, a lot of them, and that if you have people who are fans of players and as those players move, those play, those fans are going to follow those players. And that's okay, especially with so many fantasy players and daily fantasy and everything else. You are following players around, and it's important that we individualize them and give them their space. So Boingo powers our Sports Business Radio Roadshow uh, wireless at the stadium now. Everyone who goes to the game, they also want to engage. They want to check their fantasy stats. Mm-hmm. They want to get on social media. They want to post selfies. That seems like that's a priority as well for the NFL to make sure that the fans who are at the game also have the, the experience of being able to be social. Right. Like we have quite a big... Um undertaking uh, with Verizon around 5G at our stadiums. And it it is an important development um, for the consumption and the access of data at the stadiums. People expect things to be fast and to be immediate and to be good. And 5G is just the evolution of that. I mean, I will say, you know, for me, it's it's just bigger pipe, faster. And, you know... The telcos and the cable codes have to be building the fiber backbone to be able to take that back to the central switch. Otherwise, it's not really going to do what it's supposed to do. But we've seen some good, um, some good pro- progress around these uh, these projects in our stadiums, and it, it's a it's a priority for I would say 32 out of 32 owners to make sure that their stadiums are 5G ready and things like that. Which I think we have a little bit of time, you know, before devices and everything like that are ready to go too. So we're not going to be caught behind on that for sure. I want to go back to the 100-year anniversary of the NFL. So much fun. But to kick it off at the Super Bowl, I think the greatest ad I've ever seen a league produce, the commercial that you talked about earlier, take me behind the scenes. First of all, were you there when they they made the commercial? Yeah. I mean, we were there when we – so this is – so Tim Ellis is the CMO of the National Football League, and he joined in September from Activision Blizzard. I hired him from away from those guys, and we did a uh, an agency reboot in about I don't know, probably November or something. Okay. And it was like, okay, we need a Super Bowl ad. Oh my goodness! So the agency, Seventy Two and Sunny, these guys are great. They said, well, we want to do this kind of party black tie dinner, you know, celebrating football, and we want to have, like, 50 players. And meanwhile, Tracy Perlman, who is our head of kind of player relations, she just about went fetal position out of the conference (laughs) table, you know, wondering how she's going to pull this off. At any rate, she was nothing short of an Olympian. Got And as soon as we got a couple of players, then, then the rest came. And when they came to the set and they saw what was going to happen and how it was being set up, it really became quite energetic. And some of the players who were kind of reluctant were like, mm, and the one, some of the ones that didn't do it were like, oh, I wish I would have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really it was the vision of 72 and Sunny. And, you know, a few of us, I really wanted to have a little bit of, um, you know, a nod to the future, which is why you saw Sarah Thomas in there, our right. only female rep, and why you saw Sam Gordon at the end. She's a young girl from Utah that started a tackle football league in her middle school, I think, at the time. She's in high school now. Um, and then it was just about having fun and the love of the game, and um, it was hysterical. It was it was really fun. And then, you know, when we asked the commissioner to participate, I said to Tim, I'm like, this might not go well. But uh, he was game. He was really game, and I think he did a great job, and it just brought everything together. And it was the first time we really, you know, this game is about the players who play it. And let's just remember that, shall we? And it was also we wanted a nod to the past with some of the superstars from the past and then, you know, a recognition that the future belongs to Saquon Barkley and, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield. I love the, you know, I don't know. You've seen all those memes like, oh, here, hold my beer, right? Well, that was sort of what, you know, the, 
when Tom Brady takes off all his Super Bowl rings yeah. and gives it to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I was like, no, we need a hold my beer moment here. Like, can we just have him with his rings? His Baker Mayfield says, get in there, old guy. And it's like, hold these, will you? <laughs> it was just great. Well, it was great. And then even like Franco Harris's immaculate reception oh. was mixed in. So it was so brilliant with integrating the past with the present and the future. Right. And, you know, you fit so much into, what is it, a 90-second spot or is it a 60? Um, I think that was 90. It was yeah. 90 or two minutes. We made it a little long, like, and the one this year is going to be long too. And basically it's, we're using it as content. Yeah. Like the amount of engagement we got on that before and after. Oh, huge. It superseded anything we had ever done. And it was all about the social media strategy surrounding mm -hmm the spot and getting people excited about it without giving it away. But who are these guys like posting on their, you know, Twitter, Instagram and tuxes, like what's going on there. Right. And it was really, really good. And this year you'll start to see it. Well, you've seen probably Deion Sanders in, in spots asking for kids to submit tapes. Right. So we're going to, it's about the future. Now we're entering into our 101st year yeah. and it's about the future and it's about kids playing football and who's that next generation. It's going to be great. More on the 100 year anniversary. Uh, I've been watching the NFL network and I love the, the old time team and I love Bill Belichick being on set. Have you ever seen him say so much? I know. Isn't it great? Well, he, he's a student. I went, when those guys first told me they're going to, Bill Belichick's going to be part of them. Like, Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. See, but this is what I love. And, and you know, I'll, I'll make this plea to you since you're in your seat. And I think you understand this. But when I see Roger Goodell in that commercial or I see Bill Belichick on the NFL Network, I see a different side of them. And I've actually been at events and been around Roger. He's got a really great, fun side to him. Mm -hmm. But most of the time when we see him, it's at a press conference or it's, you know, a serious announcement. And mm -hmm. so I like when we get to see these commercials where you're like, oh, there's the side of Roger Goodell that I've seen, but not many other people have seen. So I, I like when you bring those sides out of the people that you kind of don't expect that out of. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, you know, it's a game and it's supposed to be fun. It's also a really big business mm -hmm. with a lot of important um, obligations to um, obligations to be a role model for our players to be role models. And I don't think there's a person in the league who takes that more seriously than Roger, which is why you see, you know, him take, um, you know, personal conduct issues so seriously. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I think when I'm most proud of being on Roger's team is when I see him, you know, when no one else is watching, when he's in his box and he's got a kid there who is there for whatever reason, and he treats them as if he was talking to, you know, some senator or something. Like, he really, he takes his role and our, the league's role, in making America better, bringing people together tremendous, really seriously, like really, really seriously. And it's something that I, you know, I grew up in Canada, as you know, like I had no idea the weight on the shoulders of the end that the NFL feels around unity and mm -hmm. sense of purpose and stuff like that. It's been good for me to see that. Also, I've noticed since you came on board, there's more gender diversity. There's mm -hmm. women in very prominent positions at the NFL. You just made a what I thought was really innovative hire. I've never heard of this title before. Uh, Dasha Smith, you hired her from Sony, NFL's chief people officer. Yeah, that's. So, I mean, that's that's really to me. It, people used to look at the NFL ten or fifteen years ago. Well, you know, they're they're kind of stuck in the mud in some things. And now I'm seeing a lot more innovation. When I saw that hire, I was like, that's really outside the box. Yeah, look, she's um, she's incredible, right? And she comes from the media and entertainment business, mm -hmm. so she knows the puts and takes that come with that. Look, we're going to be undergoing, as you all know, likely a leadership transition here in the next five years for sure. And it's just, it's a really important time for the league to think about people, to think about succession, not just at the commissioner level, but 
at every level and what that means because you don't you don't win the battleground for that next generation of fans unless you've got the A team on the program. And so how do you get the A team and what does the A team look like? Well, the A team certainly isn't all white and all male. It's made up of every walk of life. It's made up of, you know, people who represent new people to America. It's it's women. It's, of course, African-Americans, which reflects so much of our players. But you really have to be purposeful about diversity. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. And so, yes, I've been purposeful about it. You're the highest ranking woman in, in pro sports. Is being a commissioner, whether it's of the NFL or some other sports league, is that something that you think about? Or I'm just business as usual, and if an opportunity presented itself, then you would look at that like you have any other opportunity that's come across your desk? I don't think about it. You know, um, my view on that is, and I've told Roger and others that I don't want his job. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's hard. Um, but bigger than that, and for you guys, you know, the most important thing when you're doing a job is to have your head in that job. If you're always looking at the next job, people see that. And you're not going to win the, um, you're not going to win the support of your peers when they perceive that all you want is the next job. It's just not, it's like sports psychology, right? Keep your eye on the, keep your head in the play that's on the go and the results will look after themselves. And that's what I've always done and it's been good so far. What's your management style? Um, I would say when people, when I, when people are asked that about me, others, I'm pretty direct and truthful. I trust easily, sometimes at my own expense. Um, but, I really, like I came out of, I was president of a three and a half billion dollar media business in Canada before I came here. So like I was used to a lot of like really good people on my team who could solve problems for themselves. So I expect people to solve problems for for themselves, come to me with a problem, sure, but what do you think we ought to do about it? And let's bat that around a bit and then go forward. But if... If you're on my team, I have your back, whether that's, you know, if, if Roger's upset with us or whatever. It's, um, look, people thought I was crazy for hiring a CMO out of Activision Blizzard. A few people. But okay. I just, you know, it's gaming. Well, like, it's just been a game changer. You know, it's been fantastic. And I'm, I'm just excited about the future, you know? That's great that... They have the trust in you to see that that's an innovative hire and a chief people officer is an right. innovative hire. And they say, you know what? If you think that's the right move, let's do it. And obviously it's paid dividends already. Right. right. I will say that that's been one of the pleasures of working for Roger. He, he sort of just, okay, if this is the person you want, mm-hmm. let's go. And you know, we've been, and then because I've been in places where you have to appeal to a board of directors and everything like that, positioning those people to be successful is really, really important. And that is successful in the league office, but also the right, the right, um, pace and exposure to owners as well so that they understand why we're doing what we're doing. And the same was said for big data and everything else that we're doing on that front as well. I want to talk for a few minutes about uh, events because you oversee right. events and no one does events bigger than the NFL from the Super Bowl to your games in London to what you've done with the draft. It wasn't so long ago. People were like, the draft will never work outside of New York City. And oh my gosh, has it worked? That scene in Nashville last yeah, year. Yeah, it was incredible. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. So let's start there with the draft, the strategy of taking the draft outside of New York, taking it to some of your other markets and allowing those fans to really celebrate the draft and the TV ratings for the drafter better than a lot of other leagues like final games. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really insane how people have gotten so into the draft. So I really, um, 
You know, the draft is one of those things that is super important for ongoing engagement. And I think that it was long before me that the decision was made to move it out of New York. I mean, not that long before me, but um, one of the narratives in the league office was it has to be bigger cities, big centers, big centers, big centers. And I kind of was always there. You know, I think accessibility is really important. And it's free to go to the draft. And I just think that it's, you know, Nashville was fantastic because of the music element and that made it popular. And it's just such a great little venue there. You had Taylor Swift there, which doesn't hurt. Yeah, she surprised us. We didn't know she was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Vegas will be big. Cleveland is coming. And, like, when we were deciding on Cleveland, you know, it's – this is hilarious. It's I called it the road trip draft. I mean, if you look at how many teams are within a five-hour car ride Mm -hmm. of that city, it's like – said to Roger, the boys are going to put a case of beer in the back of the car and go to the draft. <laughs> like, this is amazing for us. And it costs a tank of gas. Right. Like, it's, and these are people are going to go to the draft who may otherwise never, ever, ever be able to afford to go to a game. And isn't that fantastic? You know? And I think that that really is, you know, we're going to go big market, small market, all over. But it's important that all parts of America get to see kind of that's the beginning, right? It's really the beginning. And you'll see us leaning in more to the combine now because part of our social media strategy is telling the stories about these players. So if you saw any of the draft coverage last year, one of the new things we did was we had people who really cared about these players, whether it was mothers or aunts or whomever. They, after the player was drafted, they we had the mother or whoever read a story or say something to these players. Like they had the earphones on and it was just like, you know, Hallmark step aside, you know, like it was, (laughs) it was very emotional and that's, that's the grit, right? Like they aren't all superheroes all the time. Like they've had to, they've had to, They've been playing this hard game since they were 12 years old or younger. And, man, it's tough to get there. And these stories are meaningful, and it makes players rootable. Like, we have to make people rootable. And when you make people rootable, fans will engage. And more importantly, when you have stories like that, casual female fans engage. And I get them as part of the game as well. Speaking of of female fans, I know the NFL does a lot around uh, moms and engaging with moms, whether it's player safety or just general interest in fans and, you know, buying gear and and all of that kind of stuff. Maybe you can talk for a minute or two about the effort that's been made to attract the moms to the NFL. Well, that's ongoing, right? I mean, a lot of our shop stuff points to that. And, I mean, moms have been involved in the game. It really is... One thing about football that's so unique is the grassroots nature of it. It's not like, you know, hockey where everyone registers and, you know, it really is like at a local school level, the Friday night lights and everything like that. And moms have always been a big part of making that community special. So that is ongoing. My, and, and we do engage, um, moms around player health and safety for sure. But increasingly, you know, kids have to want to play football. My experience with my children is if they whine hard enough, I'm going to let them do it. So, like, I have to make football. You're a pushover like me. <laughs> yeah. I have to make football cool, right? And I have to make it attractive to young people so that they want to play, so that they come home so fired up their parents can't say no. Right. Right? Um, and that's really, if you look at, Everything we've done around the brand and you think about all the things we've done is really youthful from the music we use in our pieces to just the overall look and feel of everything we've done. It's, it's a lot more youthful. But on the female fandom side, you know, one of the disadvantages that football has had over others is that not a lot of girls 
have played the game historically. So we are leaning hard into um, both tackle but flag as a way to get young girls into the sport. It's a fantastic game. And we know that there's about a 67% chance you're going to be an avid fan if you participated in the game. Football is a really difficult game to learn and understand when you kind of get at it later in life. And um, we're going to, you know, we're working hard at female participation and flag. Flag participation is up hard, and we're doing a lot of work there. And also, we're going to be investing in um, pitching that flag football be an exhibition sport in the 2028 Olympics in L.A. so that that men's and women's, of course, but also global fandom. It will really attract global fandom if, you know, that sport is an exhibition sport. Other countries will, it, it'll be, I don't know, who knows what it's going to be, seven on seven or what, is, what the format is going to be, but I'll tell you what, rugby sevens in the Olympics did a lot for rugby, and um, a lot of countries leaned in hard to it. So I think that's another interesting thing on the horizon for us in terms of generating international fandom and also avid female fandom. More on events. Uh, you do games in London. You do games in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. I know Peter O'Reilly, he comes on Sports Business Radio with me every year before the Super Bowl. He does such an amazing job. Um, just producing games in other countries and in humongous stadiums. I mean, right. it's not like a 50,000-seat stadium. You're talking 100,000 seats plus. And then avid interest in the games when they come over there. But it's, it's a different country, so it's, it's different than producing a game in the United States. Yeah, I mean, shockingly, it's not that different. I mean, it's, it's complicated. It's a little bit more complicated, but, I mean, these stadiums all, are all tricked out with the same technology that our stadiums are for the most part. And really, um, you know, the production teams do a great job. Our broadcaster, broadcasting partners do a great job. Local politicians do a fantastic job. And our owners really, really lean in when they're over there in terms of hosting and mm-hmm. making the event whole. And, of course, our fans. I mean, those games sell out all 100,000 seats. You know, they, they sell out, and it's a raucous kind of experience there, which really is um, it's just fantastic to see how the game travels and how, you know, people from other parts of the world are learning the game and learning to love it couple more questions yeah, and then sure. we'll open it up to uh, the students to ask some questions. Do you see the day, and I know this gets talked about a lot, where the NFL expands to a London or a Mexico City or somewhere outside of North America? Um, I'm not sure. There's a lot of talk about that. I think a lot of things would have to, you know, a lot of different things would have to kind of come into place for that to happen. I don't see it happening in the immediate future it's the logistics alone are pretty hard you know with um you know sort of 16 i I don't know i just see the logistics as hard and especially outside of north america time zone issues and things like that i mean it's it's just difficult do i see some teams maybe leaning into okay i'm going to play half my home games in europe or something like that maybe Hmm. but it's it's not something that we talk about it we get asked about it more than we talk about it inside that's for sure is that being asked by people like me or being asked about it by the owners well i get asked about a lot at home in toronto you know when when are we (laughs) i'm sure um no 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 like not by owners by people outside okay yeah yeah um as far as uh just overall uh, LA experience that, you know, I went to school at Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles. So I lived in LA for right. a little bit. So when I was going to school there, this is how old I am. There was still NFL. Then it went away for a while. Now it's back to me. That's such an important market. It's the number two right. media market. You have two teams there. Now that new stadium is supposed to be amazing. Every time I fly into LA, I fly over and I'm like, wow, that place yeah. looks incredible. But you guys are going to do the combine there going forward, I think, or maybe not? Not for sure. Okay. No, no. But uh, Super Bowl is going to take place there. I mean, it just seems like a crown jewel venue for you guys to do so many things going forward. Yeah, look, I mean, 
Santa Cronky is investing a fortune out there, and it's a live-work-play development. It's not just the stadium. He's really taking a whole area of Los Angeles and um, just, you know, making it inc- making an incredible investment. And the stadium is spectacular. NFL Network is going to be housed out of there as well. Mm. And yeah, we have two fantastic teams going in there, and it is a it is a super large media market. It's a super crowded media market too. So you know what? The teams have to be good. Their marketing has to be sharp and they've got to attract fandom there and they're, they're doing fine. And it's going to be a really interesting, um, I'm looking forward to when the, when we kick off in that stadium in the fall and just people getting excited about the venue and, and what it is. And I, I think that I think Taylor Swift is playing there in the summertime before the season starts. So there'll be a lot of momentum coming into the season for people to get excited about the venue. But look, I mean, I was at the um, the Vegas Stadium as well, which is also going to be incredible. And so many of our venues are spectacular right now and all in their own ways. I think it's just the um, – what's impressive is that, you know, even though – TV, everyone talks about TV ratings and consumption over social and whatever. There is a real deep-seated commitment that that live game experience cannot be sacrificed and cannot be traded off for anything. And the teams work really hard on that. Everything from access to egress to the stadium to, you know, um, you know, food and beverage and things like that. And the 49ers are trying a, kind of an all-you-can-eat, all-inclusive right. price point to see what that does. Like, people, they're really experimenting and trying different things, which is exciting. The Jets and the Giants successfully share MetLife Stadium. Do you anticipate things will go as smoothly for the Rams and the Chargers sharing a stadium in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there are just things that you have to sort out at the beginning, right? I mean, the Jets and the Giants have been in this marriage for a lot longer. So right. there are things you have to sort out at the beginning and there are puts and takes, but all conversations are, are good and making progress. And yeah, we're, we're there, like sales are going and things like that. So I don't anticipate any sort of huge problems or anything like that. It's just, you know, they're, the devil is in the detail in these things. And, um, but both teams are committed to make it work. So I think it's going to be fantastic. Two more questions. Uh, you guys are in a partnership with Jay-Z and Rock Nation now. Right. I was excited to see that. Uh, already we can see some of the fingerprints of that for the music that's going to take place at the Super Bowl. There's someone who has some really incredible relationships, and it goes back to what you said earlier about you know, hiring someone away from Activision Blizzard. Right. You're tapping into people who are the best at what they do to help you make your product better. Seems like a, a no-brainer relationship. Yeah, I mean, there are two primary pillars to that relationship. One is, of course, you know, the no-brainer of helping us uh, choose and curate our artists throughout the season, right? And that was sort of a goal of mine coming in was we independently pick Super Bowl from kick from other things. Why don't we have a theme? And what's the how, – how does our brand – how do we reflect our brand and the artists that we choose and what does that look like? And so they've really helped us kind of draw a line through all of our events and obviously into draft. I mean, Nashville was huge. They weren't around when we did Nashville, but Vegas will be huge for sure. Um, and then Cleveland is even like the rock and roll hall of fame is right there too. Right. So that'll be interesting. And then of course, in all of our social justice work, that's a really big priority for rock nation as well. And they've really helped us, sort of, you know, they, they've really given us, they've kicked us in the butt a little bit around getting out there and, and really promoting that and driving it and working with the players and working um, with other communities to just put that work forward because, you know, we're doing a lot and we're investing a lot in different areas and we just do it because it's the right thing to do and we're working with our players, but we need in a sort of humble way for fans to know that this is really important to us. And it is, it's really important to the commissioner and it's really important to our players. So they have helped a lot with that as well. I think it's smart when organizations, sometimes organizations, any organization can get tunnel vision as I call it. Yeah. I think it's smart that you're tapping into rock nation to kind of get 
that outside perspective. And you can take it or leave it, but at least they're offering, you know, a, we're seeing it through a different set of eyes and they can make recommendations to you. So I thought that was a really smart part of the, the collaboration. Yeah, well. I mean, this is the theory behind diversity at its base level, right? If you're building a team anywhere, diverse perspectives are going to make you better all the time because you can't just see things out of one perspective. You're not going to get there from here. You know, you just won't. All right, last question before we open it up. You're a, a sailing enthusiast I've oh, yeah. seen, and you do this with your family. How did you get into sailing? What's the origin of that? Well, um, I grew up on Lake Ontario, okay. and uh, the 1976 Sailing Olympics were there, so got into that that way, and um, I met a boy <laughs> <laughs> who uh, raced sailboats, and he went to the Olympics in 1988. Wow. And we, since we got married in 1990, and we've had, we've raced boats and been on boats ever since, really. Yeah, it's, it's good fun. And you have daughters in there and do it too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's awesome. What a great thing for like the family to do. Yeah, it's good. Together. And I bet it's a nice, uh, kind of reprieve from your busy work life to be able to put some energies into that. Yeah, I mean, we used to race as a family. We don't race anymore, but we just we just go on to a boat and cruise and swim and cocktail, you know. <laughs> no, it's it's good fun. My daughters always say, I'd rather be sitting on the water than looking at it, you know. And uh, you, you sacrifice a lot of space when you choose to vacation on a boat, but uh, we kind of prefer the, um, you know, not a lot of fanfare, just hanging out. That's awesome. All right. Let's take a few questions from the audience. We've got students here again from Montclair State University School of Communication and Media. We also have some students from Columbia University. Let's go right here in the front. Hi, Marianne. Thank you Hi. for coming, by the way. Um, so my first question, well, my only question to you actually is, um, is there like a way to like for you guys to try to expand like your market to like other countries like Asia and Africa because I have family members who like lo oh, like love American football and would like love for you know the NFL games to be like marketed more to like you know like in Africa and like Ghana and places like that to like, other countries. So, is there any plans for that to happen? Um, Africa, not um, as we haven't really leaned into Africa so much. We um, we do se we do sell kind of broadcast streaming rights in China, and we do a little bit in other parts. We have found that um, because there's not football played in these countries, it's really difficult. And that goes back to my to become a fan. It's a lot easier if you've participated in the game, and so as opposed to kind of beating, uh, you know, kind of spending a lot of money and marketing in Africa or China or India or wherever, I want flag football to be seen as an international, more of an international sport, and that way I can prime the pump for engagement and participation and then follow on with tackle football fandom. That's how I see it being most effective and most efficient. Another question. Hi. So being that you're from Canada, how much exposure did you have of football growing up, and how would you um, look to broaden the media coverage of football in Canada as compared to other sports based in America like basketball or baseball? So um, there was, there's, a, there's a lot of football in my life growing up. I mean, obviously there was more hockey, to be honest, and that was my parents grew up in Montreal, so you can imagine uh, what that was like. Um, and so... Uh, but my dad really, um, he, he always loved football. So, you know, Sundays were a time just like here where we would sit and, uh, you know, kind of make dinner together and, and watch football. And then when I was in media, I knew that there was a lot of upside in Canada around ratings. So we had a huge kind of media organization. So when we bought the, when we re-upped our rights for the NFL, a lot of our in-house production, we have a, a show called The Social, which is a lot like The View on CTV in Canada. And we got those women into it and started to discuss football and issues adjacent to football around that show to bring it more into the narrative that, um, you know, to attract those casual fans. And ratings are up double digits in Canada. They've really seen a, a big growth 
Um, I think that they're stealing share, that we are stealing share from hockey right now. Um, and that's a little bit, you know, as the performance of Canadian hockey teams goes, so does the ratings, right? So there's a little bit of that as well. And then, of course, basketball in Canada has been massive over the last couple of years with the Raptors and their and their run. They're the only team in Canada, so the entire country rallies around the Raptors, even though they're from Toronto, because if you're not from Canada, you know that almost everyone who doesn't live in Toronto doesn't like Toronto. So, and no matter, uh, it didn't matter. The whole country was behind the Raptors, which was kind of fun. One or two more questions. Hi. Hi. Um, with your position in the NFL, I'm sure there's like a lot of pressure on you all the time. And how do you see past that pressure to to continue moving forward and working towards the NFL's um, overreach, overarching goals? So here's how I deal with the pressure, right? Like you have to, in your own heart, know that you're doing the right thing. Every single little decision, you know that you're doing the right thing. And so then if you feel good about what you're doing um, and you're there for the rest of the team, it, you know, the pressure, it just doesn't affect me then. If I'm, if I'm trying to be someone I'm not, I'm, who I'm not, if I'm trying to, if I'm making decisions because I think it's politically in advantageous because I need so-and-so on my side, that's when you, you weave a tangled web of not, nothing that good, you know, in a corporate environment. And I stay true to what I think is the right thing from my own core values. And then if owners don't agree with that, if other people don't agree with that, and it turns out I fall out of favor, so be it. But then I don't feel the pressure. And, you know, I have to think, Roger and I had lots of conversations before I came and took this job, and he understood where my head and my heart was, and so far so good on that front. But it really is important, you know, to um, stay true to yourself. And then you don't feel that, like, you just don't feel it as much. That's my advice. Last question. Hi, Marian. Hi. This is uh, Jorge from Columbia Sports Management Program. Um, from us, uh, as a student uh, that are starting a career in the sports business, what would be your, your recommendation into which areas to, to go to tackle, how to start our career? Thank you. So I get asked that question a lot. And um, my recommendation would be don't panic if the first job you get or even the second job you get or the third job you get isn't directly in sports. Like, you know, don't worry if you're not working for a team, you're not working for a league, you're not working for, you know, sports business journal or da-da-da-da. Don't worry about it because actually what the sports world needs are functional experts. So you've got a perspective now in sports because of your education, but Look, you could go work in marketing at Amex. You could go work in marketing at Visa and marketing at Pepsi. Think of all the partners the NFL has. Think about the partners that the EPL has. And don't um, shy away from doing a job in consumer analytics for Visa because you went to sports school, right? Because that education is always going to be with you. But what the sports world really needs is someone who understands sports and loves sports but can knock the ball out of consumer data analytics or marketing or whatever, right? Like Tim Ellis is a CMO of the NFL. He never worked in sports ever. He was a marketer for Volkswagen and then for Activision Blizzard. Like it really is more fungible. And I would say figure out what part of business you like working in, whether it's marketing or PR or operations or whatever, and then get good at that and then find your way into sports. All right. I want to thank Boingo for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you to Canoe Studios for hosting us here at their wonderful venue. Thank you to Tagboard for powering our social media visualizations. Thank you to all the students here from Montclair State University and from Columbia. And last but not least, thank you to Marianne Turk. Let's give her a big round of applause. You'll be able to hear this conversation uh, on Sports Business Radio later today. Best place to find that is go on to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. Thank you all very much. 
When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and University Stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. And we want to remind you all the great places you can get the Sports Business Radio podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Sports Business Radio. So download us for on-demand listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We always appreciate the reviews. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. 